Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get moving with Maria. Inspiration to spend a few minutes each day to get moving on the small things that can make a big difference in your life. With me today on Let's Get Moving is Dr. Liz Hale. And Dr. Liz, today we want to talk about when is marriage therapy actually detrimental to a marriage? And that's one of those things that I would never think. I mean, how could counseling be a negative thing? So talk about that for a second. When can it be negative? So hard to imagine, isn't it? You know me, Maria. I'm very pro-marriage, right? And in the field of marital therapy, I mean, we have some incredible protocols and models that work for couples when, here's the key, both partners want to actively work on the marriage. That's not always the case. So about 40% of the couples that, for instance, come into a traditional marriage therapy office, 40% of them are what we call these mixed agenda couples. Have you ever heard of that term, mixed agenda? I've not heard it as far as couples go. I've definitely heard mixed agenda. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, it's kind of similar. (laughs) In, In a mixed agenda marriage, you have one partner leaning in, wanting to do whatever it takes to save that marriage, and the other partner is leaning out nearing a final decision to to divorce. So talk about being pulled apart at the seams, right? Right. And and then you add that intense emotional storm to couples being further pressured by family and friends, clergy, divorce, and marital professionals. And they're really, they're ravaged by all this competing advice. And they're really trying to find some place where there is safety and calm amidst this storm so they can try to explore the complexity of feelings that are going on. Right. Dr. Liz, just start from the beginning. When we're talking about couples, couples go through rough spots. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I've been married, oh my goodness, nearly 40 years now, but our marriage <laughs> has gone through a few rough spots. And how does a, a couple know if this is just a rough spot? I mean, when do they decide that they maybe do need counseling? Mm. And sadly, I think oftentimes we wait a little bit too long. Not that it's impossible to ever come back from the brink of divorce. But uh, marriage is supposed to be hard. I suppose that maybe could be the big misunderstanding of the century is that if we're having a hard time, if this is not easy, then something must be wrong. And perhaps I've married the wrong person. I had a mentor once who I I told him, you know, I'm, I'm working with these couples and so many of them feel like they've made this mistake. You know, they married the wrong person. And uh, Dr. Greg Bear said to me, he goes, well, they absolutely did make a mistake. They married somebody who's not very loving and they're self-centered and they're selfish. And guess what? Their partner married the same kind of person. <laughs> Whoa. We all at one time <laughs> feel like we've made a mistake. But, you know, I, I've, I found this out too, Maria. If you listen long enough to your partner, they will, they will make sense to you eventually if you listen to them. But we're so quick 
to not listen and have our own agenda and think that we're right, that we really shut the other person down quickly. I, I often say to my couples, you don't have a communication problem. You have a perception problem. So how, how I'm viewing, I, th- I really do think a lot of our marriages are, are um, between the ears. It's what I think about all day long about that person. Would mm-hmm. you agree? I think I, I do agree. That what you think about Bob or what Bob thinks about Maria, right. what I think about Ben, what he thinks about me, Sure. that really colors the stage for our interactions day in and day out. But, but with couples where marriage counseling is detrimental, we have another name, another option for them, and it's called discernment counseling. So what is that? So a discernment counselor creates this holding environment, right, for a couple so that they can better understand themselves and each other's. So it's run a little bit differently. It's not therapy. It is a, um, it's short term. It's one to five sessions. And a couple comes in trying to choose one of three paths. And I, I make it simple. I have wait, walk, and work. <laughs> Path one is wait. In other words, I had a couple like last summer where decided they've been married almost 40 years like you. And they said, you know what? We're not ready to divorce. We're not ready to work on the marriage. We're just going to table it for now. That's path one, wait. Path two is to walk. It's like, you know what? We've done all we can. We've turned over every stone. We're headed towards separation, divorce. Path three is to work. In other words, discernment counseling is not to work on the marriage. It's to decide to make an investment into working on the marriage by committing to six months of marriage therapy, let's say. So wait, walk, and work. And how it works for me as a discernment counselor, Maria, is that I schedule two hours for these couples, and I work intensely with one individual partner. And after that individual time, then the spouse, spouse comes in, and we update him or her on the individual session, and then we switch places. So it's short-term, intensive. They get to decide their direction, um, and one of three paths is decided upon, wait, walk, work. So why does it work better to separate them and talk to them individually? Explain that. It does. You know, it's exactly the same reason why marriage counseling works. If I try to take a couple and do marriage therapy, and they are a mixed agenda couple, one leaning in, one leaning out. One's going to like me. The leaning in partner is really going to like me. The leaning out partner is going to feel like I am out to lunch, that I don't get them. I don't have empathy for them. They're going to think it's a big waste of time. So, But when I can talk with them individually, and I'm doing this more and more, even in marriage counseling, I'm finding that if, if I can just kind of quiet the storm a little bit and talk to that person one-on-one, that there's almost always, even though we're pointing the finger at the other person as, as married people, there's almost always a part that belongs to me. Never have I worked with a marriage where it's all one person. We all are responsible for the damage in marriage as well as the repair in marriage. So I find it a bit more intimate and a little bit easier to self-reflect. So if you can get them to come in, if you can get them to at least agree to do that, though, yeah, right? right? Especially with one leaning out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not, that's not easy to do. And I'll, I'll give you kind of three scenarios that are really common for couples that call my office. Um, and they've heard about discernment counseling, for instance. So one situation will be a person saying, look, I don't want a divorce, and I'm going to do anything to save my marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's a really tough position to be in because it just takes one partner to end a marriage in our legal system. So doing your best to save your marriage requires a ton of focus and emotional balance. 
So what I suggest to that individual is try to slow down the divorce process, especially if your partner is having an affair or otherwise acting impulsively. Tell your spouse you're moving slowly, not out of anger or spite, but because you believe your marriage can still be saved. And, that, you know, there's a tendency with, with any of us who are in this situation where, about, where we are about to be left. I mean, that's a terrible feeling, right? Mm-hmm. No doubt about and it, it. And it's so, so easy to turn to begging and pleading and scolding or shaming uh, or enlisting the, the help of the kids, you know, None of to which guilt that work. other parent into staying. <laughs> but all those actions burn the bridges. They don't restore them. So instead, if you are someone who's at that brink of divorce and you want to save your marriage, you're willing to do anything, then let's prove that, okay? So let's agree that our marriage needs serious changes. Tell your partner that. Get individual help for yourself. And behave like the best partner you can be. Behave like the person you should have been all along in this marriage. Tell your partner, look, I agree. We need some serious change here. I'm going to sign up to work on myself, and I hope you'll join me. I really do find, Maria, that marriages can be saved when one person sees the impending divorce as a wake-up call. And they're willing to change himself or herself. Right. And then... There's another, there's another voice I often hear on the phone, and that one is, you know what, I would consider reconciling, canceling the divorce if my spouse made some major changes. So again, kind of pointing the finger, and granted, there are some soft reasons and hard reasons for divorce, right? The harder reasons are addictions and abuse, um, ad- adultery. And of course, no one should consider changing their plans to divorce if they're emotionally or physically unsafe, right? That would be unwise to cancel. But some of the hard reasons we have to look closely at, some of the soft reasons I often hear for divorce would be communication, lack of intimacy, or we just have different needs or we've grown apart. Now, those we can do something about. But the most challenging part is that many people whose spouses are acting badly, you know, and some of the hard reasons or soft reasons, they don't realize that they themselves are part of the problems in the marriage also, right? It's so much easier to point the finger at the person who's having an affair, right? Sure. <laughs> but every marriage is a two-way street. And I'm not saying that that partner caused the other one to have an affair. That's definitely not true. But prior to the affair, where, where was the connection in the marriage? And what could I have done to be a better mate to my partner? So no one is responsible for someone else's negative behavior. But everyone contributes to the downhill, downward slide of a marriage. Mm-hmm. And you know what jumpstarts healing is when one person who has been pointing the finger saying, it's all your fault. Finally, they look inside and say, you know what, I guess I'm part of the problem too. And that can be so helpful. Because, you know, that person you can change, right? Yourself. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it, it's you know, in this position to say, let's hit the reset button and both work on changing ourselves for the sake of our marriage and our children. Are you gonna, can you work with me so we can have a better marriage? Now, there's no guarantee that they will work with you, and you can't make someone work on a marriage. But if your marriage ultimately fails, you will have learned valuable things about yourself. This seems so difficult because things are so emotional, Oh, they are. It's not like we can sit and talk about it logically. Emotion enters into it. And so I think that's what you're talking about when you're talking about 
try to calm the storm a bit before yeah. we have the conversations. Mm-hmm. Taking those deep breaths. Man, you know, I'm a big, you and I have talked before on, on meditation, you know, when we kind of flip our lids and the amygdala is doing this red alert, you're a not safe, get the, get the heck away, you know, <laughs> um, get out of there or, or beg that person to stay. I mean, we have to really calm ourselves and that takes practice. That's like any other muscle you strengthen. Right. The third most common complaint I hear or reaction to someone at this brink of divorce is, you know what, I'm done with this marriage, even if, even if my spouse makes changes. And again, I'm not suggesting that anyone change their mind in divorce. Only that person knows their situation. But, you know, even then, I think, Maria, it's, it's useful to review the decision, right? Mm-hmm. Have I really done all I, all I can do? Have I made the necessary changes? What's my contribution to the breakdown? Can I look my children in the eye, and will I be able to look them in the eye 25, 28 years down the road when they ask me, why didn't you work harder on your marriage? Can I look them in the eye and say, I did everything? And if so, then you move forward. The, the key is that you can't divorce yourself. We t- wherever I go, there I am, right? Now mm-hmm. I'm going to take myself into a new marriage. And if there's certain skills I've got to learn, boy, I may really want to think long and hard about learning them here in this marriage before I uproot and try to go to a different marriage. And you never know. One more try with the right help could make a difference. But then again, you know, bottom line, Maria, if, if you remain convinced, that person remains convinced that divorce is the right option, then they've got better skills under their belt if they go into discernment counseling. Um, but giving it time and compassion, especially if your partner's blindsided by your plans to divorce, you know, be kind to them. You're going to be connected forever, especially if you have kiddos. Right. So if I were to make any kind of plea for discernment counseling or any kind of promotion for it, it's really for a couple to gain more clarity and confidence about the direction their relationship is headed. And at the end, you'll have a deeper understanding of what's happened in the marriage and each person's contributions to the problem. Right. I'm wondering, Dr. Liz, before we end, if there's really a point in a marriage that a person doesn't think to come have counseling but maybe should have counseling, um, because there have to be some early warning signs before you get to that point where you're done. So, right, right. So what? So your question is, what are the warning signs? Yeah, or? what are the early warning signs? When would you, as a therapist, really want people to think about, you know, getting some counseling mm-hmm. for themselves or as a couple? Yeah, I think if there is more negative than positive on a daily basis, I think that's a great telltale warning sign. If some of the respect has gone out of the marriage, I think that's another great time to say, huh, why don't we think about this? So many times people think if we need marriage counseling, then that must mean that we shouldn't be married. Let's just, let's just get out of this. And it couldn't be further from the truth, right? It's supposed to be rather difficult. Um, what's the purpose of, of um, being with somebody else who's different than you? It's so that we grow more tolerant and we learn how to unconditionally love. So everybody has also, I've noticed, kind of their own level of um, tolerance, and I have a really low tolerance for bad behavior, my own and my husband's, because I want to nip things in the bud. Mm-hmm. I really want to work hard to have that marriage in the upper 3%, you know, where it's I, I didn't wait this long to get married just to have a mediocre marriage. 
So I really fight every day, not literally, but in my heart, to take this on as, okay, this marriage is 100% up to me. Today, it's 100% up to me to make my husband men feel like his life is more worth living because I'm in it. What am I going to do today to, to add more value to his life? And it, it deepens my life, right? Mm-hmm. It's a win-win. It's usually how we feel about ourselves is how we treat our partners. Such such great advice, Dr. Liz, because I think often what I see, not that I'm, you know, I'm not a therapist, obviously, but it seems like there it's the dramatic event that brings the marriage to an end. And that's why I was asking, you know, mm-hmm. what are some of the things you should be seeing before mm-hmm. you get to whatever that is? Mm-hmm. Preferring to spend more time apart, I think, is kind of another sign. So the dramatic event, you're right, there have been many smaller events leading up to that that just go unnoticed, right? We start mm-hmm. to live solo lives. We start, start enjoying spending time apart than together. We have lost some of that respect and that enjoyment in each other. Um, so to, I think the, the key is to really take responsibility for all the mistakes and all the miscommunications in your marriage. Act as if, and if both parties are doing this, you can't lose. Act as if it belongs 100% on your shoulders to make things better, to make things right, to bring things up, to express love and respect and admiration. The good news is about marriage therapy, if we were to go back to that, Maria, is that we know more today than ever before about what makes marriage thrive. And that's the really good news. We have scientific proof now. Mm -hmm. Dr. John Gottman's work is one. Dr. Sue Johnson is the other. And there are others even that maybe not be scientifically based but are very, very effective. It's exciting. It's an exciting time to be married. But it's not for the faint of heart. Fair to say? Fair to say. <laughs> but I think that's in any relationship. Whether Absolutely. you have a you know, a good you know, a girlfriend that you are pals with. I mean relationships you have to work on. Mm-hmm. They just don't happen and you can't just sit by and take them for granted. No pain, no gain is not just for diet and exercise. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dr. Liz, I always learn something new from you. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Is there anything that you might want to add that I haven't asked you? I always enjoy, enjoy my time with you also, Maria. I think the worst thing is to do nothing. You know, when, when marriage sometimes feels mediocre and it feels like, oh, man, I kind of wish we had a little bit more spark. Do something about that. There is just too much literature around, a lot of good literature. So try to go to the best of the resources, Gottman, Sue Johnson, to keep in mind, um, Harville Hendricks, Helen Hunt. Gosh, I really love their work as well. You know what I think is so impressive about that couple, they have the Imago therapy, mm-hmm. is that um, they're on their second marriage and they train couples all over the world and they train therapists all over the world. But they had this little secret after he had gone on the Oprah Winfrey show and helped her win her first Emmy, is that they were having problems. They had gone to five marriage therapists. The first two they fired because they knew more. The last one fired them saying, you're the couple from hell. (laughs) (laughs) So Harville Hendricks, Helen Hunt with Imago Therapy, and they wrote this in their book, Making Marriage Simple, that if we can do it, you can do it. And they talk about being on the brink of divorce and the things that they did specifically to come back from that end. But again, so if we can do it, you can do it. And I think that brings such encouragement that, wow, these are professionals. They're studied. They were on the brink of divorce. If they found a way back, then we can too. Dr. Liz, thank you so much today. It's been a pleasure. Take care, Maria. Stay healthy. Stay happy. Same to you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 
a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.